Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness show with Sarah Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sarah Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sarah Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guests are researchers and clinicians, Edward Brobkin and Ashley Palathra. Now, have you ever been speaking with someone and realized that you missed the entire conversation because you were lost in your own thoughts? Well, these growing difficulties with connecting have led to a dramatic rise in loneliness and alienation over the past several decades. And in their book called In Missing Each Other, Edward and Ashley argue that we must find the ability to be in tune with each other again, and they show us how. So I am super excited to welcome Edward Brodkin and Ashley Palathra to the show. Welcome, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank for you. Having I am very excited to have you on. Now, it's always great to have people on who are much more intelligent than me, so we can have a good debate. <laughs> and <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so I am very excited, if not slightly intimidated, but your book is incredible. So please tell us firstly, Ashley, I'll come to you. Tell us a little bit about your background so people can understand your background and then we'll come on to the book. Maybe Ted, you can introduce yourself afterwards and, and go into a little bit about what the book's about. Sure. Yeah. So generally, Ted and I can consider us as clinical researchers. Um, my personal background, I am a doctoral student in clinical psychology, so a psychologist in training, and I've done a number of years of clinical research working on different types of therapies to support connection and um, social functioning is how we call it in the academic world. But generally just helping people understand what is getting in the way of feeling close to others and how do we get better at feeling uh, close connections with either personal relationships, professional ones across the board. So we met doing research with adults with autism more specifically, since that population has a little bit more difficulty with those connections. But from our work, sort of spanned this whole um, interest in just connection in general. Uh, so that's where the book came from and being able to disseminate our research into just information that would make sense to people globally and would connect, you know, using stories and research um, across the board, which I think is helps kind of deliver this information in a way that's more accessible. Ted, tell us a little bit about your background so we understand how you fit into the picture too. Yeah, so I'm a psychiatrist and um, I'm a faculty member at the University of Pennsylvania. And my interest has really been, like Ashley was mentioning, in um, adults on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum, and just generally more broadly than that, um, how people connect with each other and how to improve the quality of connection. So um, I've done research in that area. Um, I see patients and, you know, Ashley and I worked on this book together, which I was super excited about because this is really like the core of my interests. I find it fascinating because connection with other people is obviously really important. Like love and connection is the number one human need we all have. And yet so many of us find it really hard 
Now, coming out of a pandemic right now, I think we've all been trained to shut ourselves away. So, Ashley, are you seeing this as a as an increasing challenge for society? Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way that you said that, that it's an innate thing that we all crave and desire to different levels, for sure. There are people who need it more than others in in terms of filling their tank, so to say. Um, But it's been incredibly difficult. I think it's made everyone universally vulnerable to feeling disconnected and noticing the impact of what connection does for us. You know, even if you're not someone who's super extroverted, there's some sort of energy that we get from other people that helps us bring purpose and meaning to our lives. Some people only need those few connections and not being able to see them in person has caused us to be very creative in figuring out how do we move within these bounds of maintaining our safety with the pandemic, but also filling this much, um, you know, very important need that we have of connecting. So I think with the, the use of video conferencing and, you know, more Zooming, how I'm sure people are tired of it to some extent at this point, especially in the professional domain, but being able to, like I said, be creative, I think is, is necessary. And just getting through this. I think that's, that's, I mean, we obviously have found ways to compensate for that, but I've noticed with my clients that a lot of people have become very comfortable with that disassociation, with that disconnection with the real world and, and are more comfortable now behind a screen than they are actually in person. And actually now that we can go out more or definitely we can in the UK and not so always or all over the world right now I know but you know we are getting to go out more people are opting not to go out so much so Ted what are the negative impacts that you're seeing from from what's going on here with the with the lack of connection what are the what are the downsides yeah I think I can totally relate to what you just said I even feel it in myself you know like we've had periods in the United States where we have to stay home for a while, uh, sort of a lockdown, let's say, and then we're then we're more able to go out. And it's this period of adjustment, like, you know, whether it's driving on the road or interacting with other people, it's like, wow, I'm not used to this being around people in person and it takes some adjustment. And so it's, it's almost like we develop um, sort of a set point or, uh, you know, a level of interaction with other people that we're used to. And then when that suddenly changes, it can be really hard um, to adjust to. But I, you know, one point we make in the book, I think the pandemic comes on top of a longer trend, even before the pandemic, of people feeling kind of disconnected and lonely in our society. Um, And then you add the pandemic on top of that, and it uh, gets people even more out of practice and interacting with others. Do you find that that disconnection leads to depression or where does it go because it's not healthy is it to shut yourself away from the rest of the world for sure yeah I can you know speak to the clients that I see in therapy you know people who are more vulnerable to symptoms of depression for example having to be shut in not having interactions not being able to just move and get up and and expend that energy necessary for improving your mood just exacerbates the whole cycle 
Then again, I have so many patients with anxiety where in this pandemic, anxiety, I think across the board has skyrocketed in terms of health, safety, but also just general stress that this has caused everyone. But again, like you're saying, anxiety causes us to have that increased fear and want to just, you know, sometimes there's safety in what you know, which might be being at home. And so, you know, in some ways staying put might be helpful for um, easing that anxiety that we've all come to know. But at the same time, what we know for the treatment of anxiety is to get out there and to expose yourself to the things that you are feeling worried about, which might be interacting with others and having those in-person connections. But I think we're still in this weird adjustment phase, like Ted is saying, where we're still balancing just pure safety in the pandemic and also this need of connection. Yeah, like Ted says, it's been going on way before the pandemic. I guess that's highlighted it and, and affected more people. But Ted, is it affecting all groups of society or is it more prevalent in certain age groups? I think it's affecting everyone, but I, it, interestingly, I think it's affecting even more young people. Um, so, uh, well, I know before the pandemic, when people did these surveys about loneliness or not feeling like they had someone in their life or a friend, um, there were even higher rates of that in like teenagers or people in their 20s, uh, which is really sad to me. Um, I imagine that, you know, maybe at the sort of other end of the spectrum, like when people get really elderly, there's a lot of loneliness as well. But um, I think it says something important that we need to pay attention to that there's so much feeling of disconnection in young people. I mean, it's interesting that it's it's everyone. And I, I know in your book, it's I think it's based more on American society from what I was reading. And, you know, obviously us Brits, we're known for being pretty closed and like stiff upper lip and not really <laughs> connecting so much. So, you know, is it, is it worse in certain countries or is it really everywhere right now? Um, from what I've read, I, I know it's in the United States and it's in the UK and, um, I think most of the studies have probably been done in these sort of Western countries more so like, you know, Western Europe, UK, United States. I think I saw a study in Japan as well. But um, so I don't know for sure, like based on research numbers, but I, I think it's it's quite widespread. I think also maybe some of the Western culture plays into it as well. The sort of individualistic culture versus other cultures that may be a little bit more connected or communal. Um, mm. That's just a guess. Yeah. I will add too that the UK has definitely taken strides. You all were the first to have that minister of loneliness and putting a big spotlight on this issue and how it's kind of far reaching. Yeah, we are good at those sort of things. Yeah, I mean, I know that there's a lot of awareness. We have a lot of campaigns on TV for if you've got some spare time, guys, will you volunteer it for there's a suicide charity or an elderly charity just to give time. And some of the morning shows are even saying we're going to run a, a donation thing where you can donate time rather than money just to make a phone call to people mm -hmm. local to you that need a bit of support. So, yeah, we are good at that. And it's nice to see that people are reacting and putting solutions in. But I mean, this also, you know, for my listeners who are going through breakups, it's quite a common thing when you when you've been betrayed or dumped or maybe abused coming out of a toxic relationship. 
your confidence is low. It's natural, isn't it, to to withdraw actually from society a bit while you heal and nurture yourself. And the and the thought of opening yourself up or or even talking to anybody when you're in that vulnerable state can be very daunting. Absolutely. And I think in that healing period, like you're describing, people have described to me a number of times how they feel like this wall grows within them. And sometimes they notice it and sometimes they don't. And I think once you, your goals start changing of maybe feeling interested in developing relationships or starting to get back out there, sometimes that can come as an abrupt surprise where you don't even realize that this wall has been up and, and you're confused and you know unsure about why it's being, it's so hard to develop those relationships again. And you know, like you're saying with the different types of, um, experiences that people have might require different levels of intervention and therapy and support. Um, but in general, I think, especially in our book, we talk a lot about how to become more aware of your sense of self and emotions and body within yourself in order to better connect with other people. Ted, did you have something to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say, in addition to what Ashley said, that I think sometimes when people go through a breakup, especially when it's a rough breakup, you know, like um, their partner or their spouse cheated on them, or it was some kind of, you know, really difficult breakup, there can sometimes be a sense of like lower self-esteem or shame, even like feelings of shame around the breakup or what happened. And so then there can be this tendency, like you said, to kind of pull in or Ashley said, and just stay within yourself, you know, because there's this assumption that if I tell someone about it, they're going to think negatively of me. But I think uh, it's really important to try to reach out to members of your network, your community. And you may find like there's some people that you trust with this information more than others, but at least to have one or two or three, like a few people that you can reach out to. And I think by doing that, um, you'll probably see that they're not judgmental, that they're supportive, and that will really help. But if you sort of just stay enclosed with your own feeling of shame, then it can be hard to let go of that. Yeah, and, and sometimes that's you being ashamed to, to talk about it, as you say, Ted, I think that is a real issue, and there is still stigma around these kinds of things. Although sometimes it's also the perception that other people are talking about you and that you don't really want to put yourself out there. And I, and I think another issue that comes up is loneliness. And I think people worry when they come out of a relationship, they're going to be lonely because they won't have that partner. But I know I found that when I came out, whilst I was had been worried about being lonely, I was actually surprised and relieved to find that I was actually more lonely in my toxic marriage than I was when I got out and was just spending time on my own. Because sometimes when you're in a relationship with someone where it's not very loving, you can feel very alone, even though you're not actually physically alone. This is something that you see, Ashley, with your clients. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really well said. And the fact that loneliness, what we know from the research is not based on the number of people that you have around you or the number of relationships. It's really about the quality of those relationships and whether or not you feel totally heard and seen as an individual. And that's where that 
juice comes from, you know, that keeps you going and keeps you feeling connected. So absolutely, even if you're, you know, I think a number of people will describe it as, you, you know, even if you're in a room in a party with lots of people around you, you can feel like the most lonely person in the world. And I think that's a big part of it is how do we communicate our needs in terms of what do we need to feel heard? What do we need to know that other people see us wholly and fully, you know, flaws and all? And that can be difficult. Sometimes that requires us to communicate our needs, like I described. Sometimes it requires being in those relationships where they are uh, reciprocal and where the other person has that genuine interest and intent of trying to understand you as well. Are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. Sarah Davison, best known as the Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup, take back your control and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, And you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. How can people start to move forward then? Because I know a lot of my listeners will be resonating with the loneliness and the disconnection and the the fear of making those steps towards it can seem so daunting. They'll just retreat even further. So what's your advice for helping them to to start to get some momentum? Well, I think taking those first steps um, with trusted people, you know, like if you're in a toxic relationship and you've tried to work it out and it's just not workable, then that may not be your best avenue to allay or reduce your loneliness. And so um, whether it's reaching out to a trusted family member, a friend, um, you know, maybe someone new that you're dating, but, uh, and, and starting to <clears throat> feel that more of that connection with one or two people, I think that can really help. And in our book, I mean, we talk about this, what we think is really important in a relationship or even in, an, in a single interaction in feeling less lonely. So this thing that really helps you to connect on a more meaningful level and where you feel like, wow, we really had a moment there where, you know, we really like made contact, so to speak, maybe not physical contact, but like emotionally. We were in sync. Yeah. We had this moment where we were in sync and it felt like we really connected and bonded. And we call that, um, that process attunement. So that's really what we focus on in the book is like, what is attunement? How do we develop it? How do we get more of that in our lives and our relationships? It's, you know, we can't be perfectly in sync and in tune with other people at every moment, but how do we get more of those moments in our life? 
Fascinating. I don't, so, Ashley, can you share one or two of those with, with my listeners so they get to really understand what this attunement is and maybe test it out? Definitely. Yeah. So we break it down into four different components and they sort of all dynamically work with one another. But, you know, we present them in a way where they build upon each other just for ease of being able to start to strengthen these muscles, so to say. And that's what it is. It is a truly a, a muscle that you can get better at and you can feel over time. So part of the first step that we talk about is developing better relaxed awareness. And that is a little bit of a combination of mindfulness, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of, but we think of it a little bit more as the concept of being really calm and relaxed within yourself, yet also aware. So sometimes I think the misconception about mindfulness is, you know, you just want to make your mind go blank and relax your body. And that's not truly the definition you want to, you know, try and find that, strike that balance between releasing the tension within yourself, both physically and emotionally, as well as being aware to what's around you, whether that's, you know, just the stimuli around you or the relationships or conversations in front of you. And building that skill is really important to being able to, number one, be aware of what's getting in the way you know, personally for connections? So are you having a lot of anxiety? Are you feeling really sad? Are you feeling really confused? Is it really hard to understand your partner? Um, are you feeling really scared to share things that's getting in the way with communication? I mean, it's a whole host of things, but getting a better sense of yourself first, I think opens up and allows for, you know, you to have more confidence in being able to then connect. That's really important too. I think when you're consciously aware of what you're doing yourself, then you have the ability to change things. When it's happening unconsciously, then we just live in maybe overwhelm or just not really knowing, but just feeling that things aren't working so well for us. I know in the intro I was talking about sometimes you can have a conversation with someone, but then not have heard anything they're saying. So how does that come into, because that happens to a lot of us, I'm sure, like either we're super busy and doing so many things or we're just so internally focused that you can sit there and, and engage, but it's not really engaging, is it, Ted? Yeah, that is so common. Um, I think you, you described that really well. It's like we are distracted by so many things, right? Like sometimes it is an internal thing, like you and Ashley were just talking about that. Um, in the pandemic, there's all kinds of stress and there's anxiety, or maybe if you are coming off of a, a breakup, um, there's the sadness and lack of trust. So th those things can be distracting in some ways, it makes it hard to connect or listen to another person. And then we've got, you know, in our modern Western society or pretty much all over the world now, we're constantly bombarded by all of our devices and technology and, you know, it's so tempting to constantly look at your phone. So yeah, just really being present in a conversation and listening is, is more challenging than it sounds. It sounds so simple, but um, you know, it's really challenging. So that's, so like what Ashley was saying with relaxed awareness, we suggest some exercises for sort of practicing some of these skills, like building up these muscles, like Ashley said, these kind of mental, emotional, muscles, so to speak, that could help us to connect. Yeah. And I'll just add, you know, I think I, a lot of people probably recognize the feeling of 
this other person who's not hearing me or not seeing me. And it's like, why can't this other person change? Like I'm bringing awareness and mindfulness to the conversation, but it's them. You know, I think in one way you can maybe reframe it is we don't have control over how people act or what they bring into a relationship. But what we can control is how we try and communicate that to the other person. So, you know, maybe developing and cultivating that relaxed awareness within yourself brings you to a, you know, a grounded place that, you know, better facilitates you to bring up this conversation of your missing needs or being able to have a conversation in a less defensive or in a way that it'll elicit less defensiveness from the other person. And then, you know, setting the stage for the opportunity to be able to have difficult conversations about things that are not going well in, in relationships. And very often this is something that's all consuming for people. So if that's taking up their brain space, then it's hard to connect with others. Now you talked about there being, was it four steps, Ashley? So that's the first step, was it? So what are the other three? Ted, do you want to, to fill us in on this? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, we think of this relaxed awareness as kind of the foundation so that we can be aware of ourselves and the other person, but not like in a panicked or terribly anxious state. And then on top of that, the second part is what we call listening, which um, means what it sounds like, like listening to what the other person's saying, but listening in a really broad sense. So listening to what they're saying, but also taking in their cues, like their facial expression, body language, tone of voice, um, and really kind of resonating with them, like being willing to be open enough to them that even if they're expressing an emotion, that you resonate with that a little bit. You can kind of vibe with them and feel it a little bit. Um, and for each of these elements, we also talk about, you know, we talk about listening to the other person, but we also talk about listening to yourself. So um, kind of taking a moment to tune into yourself and think like, what, what am I feeling right now during this conversation or this interaction? And that can be challenging to do, just to give yourself the space to do that. But that's part of listening too. Um, so listening is the second part. Then there is understanding. I'm, I'm just giving you really quick summaries of these, but um, understanding is trying to understand the other person, like um, what's, what's making them tick, what do things look like from their perspective, versus what do things look like from your own perspective? Um, maybe your two perspectives are different. Like even if you like this person or love this person, you still are different people and you have different perspectives. So just trying to get a better handle on that and understand what's going on between you. So you have a little bit more perspective. And then the fourth element is what we call um, mutual responsiveness, which is what actually happens between you. So it's like, you have this state of relaxed awareness, you listen, you resonate with them, you kind of try to understand it, but then mutual responsiveness is like what you do towards them and what they do towards you. And we break that down into some parts even, but you know, the first part of it is what we call just meeting the other person where they are. So um, <clears throat> trying to get a sense of like, where is this other person mentally and emotionally now? And can I kind of meet them there so I can begin to form a connection. And 
then we talk about this process of like the back and forth um, give and take of conversation and sort of trying to stay in the flow of conversation with that other person and not get like way sort of distracted off onto your own thing. Um, sometimes it, it's helpful to have like a mental picture by using a kind of a, like a, a comparison or analogy. Sometimes we compare this to like dancing with another person. If you think of like a, a ballroom dance, let's say, if you're gonna dance well with another person, first of all, you have to meet them where they are, right? Like literally, like you can't go over there where they're not, you have to meet them where they are. And then as you dance with them, even if there's sort of preset steps to the dance, you have to be aware of them and aware of yourself and have this give and take and responsiveness. And you have to stay in the flow with them in the music and you know, sensing each other. You can't just check out mentally. Um, so those are, you know, th those are the elements of attunement. And um, yeah, sometimes it can be helpful to think about things like dancing because that's an example of a of attunement at a kind of physical level, let's say. I mean, I think this is fascinating because communication is something that we're not taught at school. It's like, well, go out there and some people are really popular and some people are not so popular. And quite often, if you actually look at the people that are more popular, they have better, stronger communication skills than other people. Yeah, they'll ask a question about the other person. They'll look them in the eye. They'll be more open with their body language. Whereas some of the people that struggle with that tend to be maybe not as comfortable in other people's presence and, and not asking open questions that elicit more than a one word answer. So, I mean, if we were taught these skills, guys, at school, do you think it would have made a massive difference to society? Ashley, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, like you're saying, it's a, it's a full skill set. What I like to say is I hope that brings people hope that it's not something that has to say the same as it has all their lives. They can strengthen these skills to be able to connect in ways that are going to bring meaning to their lives. Um, and, you know, I, it doesn't have to be with every single person you meet, even just one strong connection can be a game changer. Um, but I think attunement is sort of starting with those skills in the hopes that you're able to get to this ability to connect with someone at like the gut level of really feeling like you know you're in sync and you and they see you and you see them and um you know it's not always going to happen and it's not even going to happen all the time in the same great relationship but having those moments i think just really fill people up and and they deserve that and yeah we starting young is a huge thing being able to build those relationships in early when the brain is so malleable and and um, interactive and curious is huge um, especially since i think a big part of attunement is also staying curious being really humble and that everyone is changing all the time you don't know how people are changing and you know being really genuinely interested in in continuing to understand someone who's evolving just as you are yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. I think for people coming out of relationships and are thinking, oh goodness, I've got to start again. Maybe they've lost friends. I know a lot of my listeners always are DMing me about, well, I've lost my friendships and you know, my friendship groups really shrunk and I'm really struggling with that. These tools for attunement and just 
connecting are very useful. I guess like bearing your soul though and letting people see the real you can be quite scary, Ted, can't it? So have you got any advice for sort of just being brave and, and taking the plunge? Yeah, uh, I think, well, I think being brave and taking the plunge with some people that you, you know, you have a reasonably good reason to trust them, I think can be super helpful. It's kind of like what Ashley said before about dealing with anxiety that um, sometimes the best way to deal with it is to really take a risk, put yourself out there and see that, um, you know, nothing terrible happens. And in fact, actually it, it works out really well um, sometimes, but I think it's reasonable to take a kind of a, let's say, well-educated guess or calculated risk about those things and to do it with someone who you think has a good chance of, um, of understanding. And, uh, you know, sometimes the way it works is like you kind of start with someone and you just get the sense like they're not getting this or they're not, you know, but then you try to start with someone else and they're like, wow, they're really open and they're really understanding and you can put yourself out there and you're just really pleasantly surprised. So I think a willingness to take those risks is really helpful. Yeah, And also with people that maybe you like in your life, but maybe they're, they're sort of on the periphery and you've never really developed that relationship. So it could be a good chance to, to, to test it out. As you, as you say, so I think it's important to do a bit of a risk assessment first, but yeah, you know, and you'll learn, right? And if you're looking out for the danger signs or any red flags that this person isn't, you know, maybe as understanding or as caring as you thought, then you just get out of that, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so Ashley, tell us a little bit more about your book, Missing Each Other. Where can we find it? And where can people go to find out more about your work and Ted's work? Sure, you can definitely find out more about our work and the book at our website, uh, missingeachother.com. And, you know, our book is widely available at most places that you would be able to purchase one. And the one thing about our website is we've included different videos that you can access in order to practice some of these exercises that we've described. You know, sometimes reading it is one thing, but being able to hear it and see it is also helpful in, in strengthening those skills. And the those exercises are something that we've developed in order to, you know, gradually work on them and take them from own personal practice at home to being able to use them out like in actual relationships and conversations and, and interactions. Okay, well, I have one last question for you both, which I ask all my guests on my podcast. Um, as you know, my podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think it's really important, especially in this day and age, to know what happiness is for you so you can tap into it along the way, even maybe when you are feeling a bit lonely or disconnected from, from the rest of society. So Ashley, what is happiness for you? I would say that happiness is, I find the most happiness when I'm able to direct a lot of acceptance to whatever is happening, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think when I'm able to have that radical acceptance of it all, it sort of frees me up to being able to lean into the joy more often. Because I think if we don't lean into the heartbreak sometimes, then we're closing off all our emotions. Um, and so being able to, to strike that balance can, can give you more opportunity to, to really enjoy those moments of, of happiness. 
I totally agree. Like, as Ted used before, the analogy of dancing, dancing with life's difficulties rather than fighting them sometimes opens up little pockets of happiness along the way. Lovely answer. Ted, over to you. What's happiness for you? Happiness to me is, um, well, one thing that makes me really happy is doing something where I can kind of lose myself a little bit in, it, in sort of like a flow state kind of a thing. So whether that's like um, reading a really great book or listening to music that I absolutely love. And then I think it's even better. It's, it's more happiness when I can do that with someone else or with a group of people who are kind of on the same wavelength and are all getting it and really enjoying it. So like, if you think of the experience of like going to a concert with friends and it was like such a great concert and you all really enjoyed it and you're, you're like, Oh my God, that was the best thing. You know, like that, that is really happiness. Um, to me so and I think that um, you know what we were trying to get at in the book this idea of attunement is a big part of that so I think that's part of why it's such a compelling topic for me yeah thank you Ted I mean that I mean it's been such a compelling podcast for me because it's fascinating hearing both your points of view and the book is incredible thank you so much for being such phenomenal guests thank you Ashley and thank you Ted for joining me today Thank you. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much, Sarah. This was great. That's it for today's episode. Be sure to head on over to missingeachother.com to find out more about Ashley and Ted's work and how to connect with them and try some of those exercises on their website. And I look forward to you joining me on my next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.